Welcome to Sound and Vision, that trivia-based wonder of pop culture, with your host, Marty Boston. Thank you, Scary Children. Yes, another week, another episode. No virus ain't going to stop us. We're um, we're here once again with my radiant co-host, Daniel Wilson. That's me. Do you have a middle name? Just out of curiosity. It's Lee. Is it? Yeah, which is a really poor choice uh, of middle name if you ever want to put your name together in an email address. Because my email address, oh, to, to anyone listening, story. Yes, is Daniel story. Lee Wilson. Which, when you put it all together, looks like Danielle E. Wilson. Much to the uh, joy of all the people on MSN Messenger who would add random girls and try and chat them up. <laughs> um, just briefly, can you go into... Um the email story which you once had about Danielle E. Wilson. Uh, to give the executive summary of it, um, yeah. there is seemingly a woman in America who works for a radio <laughs> advertising agency, um, which is, I guess, thematic because we're on the radio right now. Yeah. And I started to receive emails for her regarding her job, um, including briefs of adverts, um, <laughs> sort of proposed images, sale, sales of advert space. Uh, and I once had a really nice exchange with a woman um, who was, kept sending me these adverts. And I'd be like, oh, I'm actually this guy in England, not this this Daniel you're looking for. Ha, ha, ha. And a week later, I'd get another one. I'd be like, oh, it's me again. Um, we actually agreed that if I'm ever in America, I'll pop over to uh, go to one of the events she's trying to advertise and share a bratwurst. Oh, that'd be lovely. It, it was quite quite charming, actually. What a pen pal story that would be. They, the emails, actually, because this was when I was in university, so probably like 2012. Um, I got another one about a year ago uh, really? with all flight confirmation details and, and passport details and things like that. So thank God it was in America and not England, because that would be a big GDPR breach. Yeah, it would. But also, it means that you'd have details potentially get on a flight. You know, your passport might be an issue in the fact that you're not Danielle, but... You could at least try. And yeah, I'm sure in a post-9-11 world I'd get away with that. <laughs> but yeah, so if you ever want a fun, uh, fun odd email exchange every now and then, just just have a name and then you stick it all together, it looks like a completely different name. Yeah, good. I'll think about it when I get home. So the theme of this week is, uh, well, only two weeks ago we were divulging into comic book movies and we're back yet again, but with a slightly different theme on it. So it is comic book movie sacrifices. So this is going to be full of spoilers let's be honest because uh you know sacrifice it kind of it's normally a shock system when it comes into it and um i mean i really enjoy my two films dan loves his two films dan i actually marty i enjoy all four of these films because would you believe it i have seen all of them dan has seen all of them i know i'm as shocked as you are but this is basically going to go into detail of when there is a significant impact on a character's death which they do selflessly um you said a brilliant brilliant thing about about this theme in particular do you remember off the yeah top of so your head? so when marty was originally um proposing this theme to me uh, we talk about sacrifice and I, I had a couple idea for it's actually the two films i've picked today mm. and i said do you think it matters that both of these are comic book films and he replied saying well one of mine is also a comic book film so why don't we make it comic book sacrifice and what i said was it's actually kind of interesting that um we have ended up picking so many comic book films. And I think it's largely because comic books are supposedly about these heroes and these ideals that people can reach. And sacrifice implies someone is entirely selfish, which I think a real person with real motives and a real identity 
is often very difficult for them to be truly selfless mm. and so that we put this idea into our heroes into these people who will give all of themselves into something and not have flaws like regular people will which is why sacrifice is such a common theme when it comes to comic books and as i was looking through the variety of comic book movies that are available to watch it's amazing how big of a list it comes when it just sacrifices in general it's more or less every single comic book film there is a significant impact on a sacrifice of some sort whether it be um, a physical or a mental or whatever it is there there seems to be sacrifices the forefront of every single comic book franchise yeah i mean if you think about for instance spider-man um not not one of our picks this week there's one of your first hints but spider-man his whole life is about sacrifice because this with great power comes great responsibility so instead Mm. of leading the normal life having the wife and family he wants having the job enjoying his freedom he knows that he has a responsibility to look after the world look after the streets look after the city yeah and so he sacrifices not himself as a physical person but his time his emotional energy his physical energy that's what that sort of sacrifice is and it's perhaps it's not then about sacrifice in terms of people being the best that they can be but i think also in comic book films it's about the stakes as well yeah. it's always the end of the world scenario always or, the end or of the world. The, you know the president needs saving or some, something huge which perhaps doesn't isn't so necessary in, in films with smaller stakes absolutely and just going back to spider-man as well spider-man funny enough spider-man 2 was in the list of films which I was potentially going to look at for the sake that Doc Ock, because um, he almost sacrifices himself twice in that film. He sacrifices himself at the start in order to become Doc Ock. He's no longer Dr. Otto Octavius. He becomes the monster, the menace. But then right at the end as well, when he sacrifices himself once more because he gets that sense of, oh no, what have I done? I need to save the world. Mm, Spider-Man 2, of course the seminal Spider-Man film. Yeah. Not including uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But the reason Spider-Man 2 is so good, just to go on a slight tangent, mm. is because of that idea that Peter, who has constantly been seeking this father figure throughout his life, his parents obviously he died, Uncle Ben dies, and he does everything in the memory of Uncle Ben. Mm. He then finds another father figure in Otto Octavius and has to then take him out, and it's a very painful and emotional journey for Peter Parker, which is why that film is so good and such a perfect Spider-Man so, film, because sp- the reason Spider-Man stuff is good is not when the Spider-Man stuff is good, because swinging around action is always yeah, wicked. Even, really even if you're Andrew Garfield just flinging manhole covers at the rhino at the end of spider-man the andrew garfield one um it's about when the peter parker stuff is good oh yeah i never really liked a bit in spider-man 2 when his mask comes off and the whole train bit and they're like oh he's just a boy i mean we won't tell anyone i didn't like that bit of spider-man 2 if i'm honest yeah but see why that is good marty mm. is is because it's the community that spider-man so much spends so much of his time and energy protecting looking back at him and recognizing he is a person because spider-man is hated mainly thanks to J. jonah jameson and jk simmons plays the perfect role twice um, um <laughs> but it's, it's about a community thanking spider-man for his efforts when he's unconscious and doesn't even recognize it and can't appreciate it he doesn't know he's getting the support from everyone else but it's, it's really that sort of relationship between him and the city your uh, your coffee's kicked in, hasn't it? I really, really like Spider Man as well. Yeah, no, I mean it is a wonderful free, not so much, but let's not discuss free. Um, so you may be questioning. We've been going on for seven minutes now. Why, why is this show here? How does it work? Well, it is as followed. Both me and Dan have two choices each, as previously discussed. I will be giving you three bits of trivia. Um, once that trivia has been given to you, a little bit of music is going to be played, not related to that film whatsoever. Instead, that little bit of music is for you 
for your time to think and also to enjoy as well. And then we'll come back, I'll reveal what the film is, me and Dan will chat about it for a bit, and then it'll be Dan's choice. And we'll do that twice over, so me Dan, me Dan, simple enough, play along at home. Wonderful. I understand. Good, he understands. He's been here two years, but it's good. It's not been two years. Clue one. The Spear of Destiny prop is the same one that they used in Hellboy in 2004, which is lazy. Clue two. The look of Hell was based on old footage of nuclear tests. In particular, the sudden shockwave immediately immediately after the blast that disintegrated anything in its path, hence the crumbling landscape. Oh, I forgot about that changeover. Mm. Mm. It's a good one. This film is good. Yeah. Uh, Clue three. In the comic book Hellblazer, on which the movie is based, the main character is from Liverpool, England, and is drawn to look like the singer Sting. In the movie, the character is from Los Angeles, California, and it is widely believed that the change was made for Keanu Reeves. The truth is, the original script retained his nationality, but got no response from producers, so the writer changed him to an American, and the script quickly gained attention. I would be gutted if this film were then based in England and it is not Keanu Reeves who plays the main character. Yeah, if I did in fact get Sting to play him. Yeah, or, or like Danny Dyer. <laughs> You're right, mate. Yeah, no, no, none of that. Right, okay, this is your time to think. Imagine that you know you you can see hell. That sucks. You know you can see demons. No one else can see. Are you going crazy? I don't know. Your parents think you're crazy, and they put you into a mental institute and they jab you with electric, and it still doesn't work. And um, through various ways, you you grow up and you you get tattoos, and um, you know a detective knocks on your door and says, oh, "My sister, my twin sister, she's committed suicide." Um, but I don't think she committed suicide. I believe she was murdered. Can you help me? I feel like it's a spiritual demonic thing. And that's what John Constantine has to deal with in the film Constantine, uh, which is 2005. It's actually one of my favourite comic book movies ever, even though it's not really... um, It doesn't really stick to the comic book, to be fair. It definitely goes off. I mean, just by the similarities, which I said in Clue 3, they completely get rid of it, and it's their own interpretation. But it's brilliantly done. There's quite a few big-name actors in this as well. You've got Shia LaBeouf fairly young as well you hold on who is she is, he, is he's, this... he's Chez Chez oh of course he he's is yeah yeah buddy yeah friend. and the only reason why he got that is because of Will Smith the producer and director of this film 
worked on iRobot with Will Smith and Shayla Booth. Will Smith said how good Shayla Booth was in iRobot, hence why he came on. And to plays Constantine. the exact same character. Yeah, literally exactly the same. Um, Rachel Weiss is in this as well. Rachel Weiss is always wonderful. I always have time for Rachel Weiss. Um, I always forget his name for the last uh, for for sake of me. But Digimon. Oh, I forget his name, but he's in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, he was in Captain Marvel. And I mean, it's probably been a decade since I've seen this film, so you're looking at me like you want me to give you the answer, and I'm but not going to give it to you. But he plays Papa Midnight, um, which is also wonderful. The woman who plays Gabriel, she's big as well. The guy who plays Lucifer. Anyway, long story short, big list of names in it. Wonderful story, um, and it just and Constantine's a lovable character anyway because he's this renegade, but he's He's got issues and, you know, heaven doesn't want him and hell always wants him, but he's killing all the demons and he's not doing enough in order to get into heaven and God doesn't... Anyway, so it gets to the end and... Sorry, sorry, just just for to well, really get to the point to hammer home this sacrifice point, right? Mm. Which is, I think, the point you're just trying to get up to is up to this point, John Constantine is doing things selfishly for a reason to get to heaven. 100%. He, he is acting for his own benefit. And that's the issue because John Constantine is dying. Uh, he has lung cancer, he smokes heavily and um, he knows that as soon as he dies, he knows exactly where he's going and everyone there hate John Constantine mm. um, because you know say say for example if you're a police officer and you go to prison everyone hates you because you're the person who put them there or what you represent put them there mm. um, so it's exactly the same situation but in a spiritual sense which is even worse because you're going to have that for an eternity so what happens towards the end of the film Marty so there's a there's a sequence when um, I won't give you all of the spoilers but for whatever reason in the next room something is happening which is going to bring about essentially the end of the world as it always does in superhero films. And Constantine has no options. He has no trick off of his sleeve. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, and then he thinks about it. So he cuts his wrist. And the reason why he cuts his wrist is because he needs the one person who he never wants to see. And that's Lucifer, the devil himself. Because Constantine is the only soul that he would ever come to get personally. Which is wonderful. Constantine is, of course, up till this point, so his entire time trying to get into heaven. Mm. And the one act you can possibly do to guarantee you never get to go to heaven, Marty, is is commit suicide. Um, So the devil comes, and he does it purposely because what's in the next room is something that Lucifer never wants to happen, even more so than taking John Constantine's soul and bringing him to hell. So he sacrifices himself by doing that. And then it comes to the point when after... Lucifer has dealt with the situation in the other room. He comes back and he's slowly pulling John along the way by his wrist, which his tendons are gone, so he tries to light a cigarette and Lucifer's like, well, that isn't going to work. And he's pulling him along and all of a sudden the floor sort of like gets wedged and he's trying to pull Constantine and then Lucifer's starting to get really annoyed and the floor just getting more and more weighted and Constantine is not moving and this light appears and all of a sudden you see Constantine float and he's going to heaven and it's a wonderful, wonderful moment and he's like, oh, I've, I've won. I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven and God's like, ah, screw you, Lucifer and all that jazz. And then Lucifer does something which I think is absolutely amazing and he's so sure that he wants Constantine. He he needs him in hell that he, he, basically, he puts his hands into his body and he pulls out all the tar 
all the cancer from his lungs and allows him to live again, to have the opportunity... To sin. To sin again, yep. which is absolutely amazing because Lucifer knows that all, all humans, all mortals, they're full of sin. They'll do it regardless. I mean, it's surprising that anyone gets into heaven, to be fair, because of the amount that we actually sin. So Lucifer goes on that, and then Constantine's alive right at the end as well, and it's a wonderful bit. But moral of the story is, with the sacrifice that he makes... He knows this entire time that he's been doing this, he's going to go to the one place where he never wants to go, and he does it for the greater good. Which and for, I think for the greater good is pro- probably the theme here. Yeah, absolutely. Every single time, it is for the greater good. That was a hot fuzz reference. For the greater, the greater good. good. <laughs> That's also great. Uh, that is my first choice and what a first choice my yeah it's, it's got to be said that, that I'm, I'm probably going to have to watch that film again this week because it's, it's just fantastic corker. every every single bit of it is wonderful okay on to my first film yes please so i've tried to be um as intentionally vague with my clues as i can mm. except for the third one on this film will really give it away because the, these are such huge films people probably know which films are going to be talking about anyway at least one of them but um, we'll start. My first clue. Uh, while filming the chase scene uh, with the SWAT vans, one of only four IMAX cameras in the world at the time was destroyed when the first take went wrong. It was destroyed? Destroyed. That was expensive, luckily. Oh. Extra hint, uh, this film made over a billion dollars in the box office, so <laughs> they probably managed to pay them back. Uh, short change. It is believed that this is one of the key. This film is one of the key reasons why the Academy Award uh, moved from five Best Picture nominations to ten the next year, um, because this and the film Wally were not amongst the five nominees. Wally. And thirdly, a video game adaptation was in production, but was cancelled due to technical difficulties in development. Though the game, then the game was picked up by British development company Rocksteady and reworked into Batman: Arkham Asylum. Oh. Oh, what a game. Mm. I mean, what a franchise. Have you played all of those? I played the first one and Dark Knight. I didn't play City. Oh, God. If you don't know what film this is, stop listening to the podcast. Shoot yourself in the foot. Right, okay. We'll be back after this. I'm, I'm not going to go any further than that. You are Bruce Wayne, billionaire. Oh, the dream. Playboy. Literally the dream. Philanth- philanthropist. Not yeah, Iron I, Man, I though. can never say that. Um, and you are over looking over Gotham City, protecting it when a new villain is on the scene. Ooh. A madman. Absolute psycho. Ooh. And he is there to cause nothing but chaos in your city. It's up to you, single-handedly, but also with the help of Lucius Fox and a few other people, to stop him. And... This is a film fraught with uh, personal problems for you. The woman you love is dating another man. 
And also played by a different actress. And played by a different actress. We'll <laughs> skip over that one. <laughs> and uh, you, you have a lot to deal with in this film. I don't really feel like I need to go through the plot of uh, The Dark Knight, Marty, because I think most people have seen it. I mean, if you haven't, what in God's earth are you doing? What you might be uh, interested in is that, oh, Daniel, you've gone for the uh, the Batman film that doesn't have Batman sacrificing himself in it. And let me tell you why, Marty. Oh, here we go. Because sacrifice, all three of our films involve human sacrifice this week. Three of our four films. This film is not about Spoiler. sacrificing... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. It's not about sacrificing yourself as a person it's about sacrificing your image and your identity mm. the end of this film spoilers if you haven't seen it if you haven't yeah. seen it shame on you um in, in the end of this film batman realizes that he has to take the fall for killing harvey dent harvey dent is of course set up as the savior of the city in this film we know as the viewers that he turns to two faces and is actually one of the villains but he's the one set down to take down the falcone crime family mm-hmm. And the, the city are all looking at him and thinking, we don't need mask vigilantes anymore. We need justice and we need control. Um, obviously, Harvey Dent goes crazy, becomes Two-Face, following the uh, the death of his fiance. Are they engaged? Yeah, they are. I really feel I should have done more research for this week. No, they definitely are. Um, his fiance, who is, of course, Batman's love. And she dies in, sim- in kind of like a sacrifice in this film after the Joker sets up two massive explosive barrels either end of the city Brilliant, with uh, Gordon attached to one, her attached to the other, and he has to go and pick... No, wait, not Gordon, Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent attached to one, she's attached to the other, and Batman has to make the choice about who to save. Goes to save her, of course, the, the directions are switched, ha ha ha, he actually goes and saves Harvey Dent, who then gets half his face burnt off, and Rachel dies big sad face that that's the first sacrifice we face in this film but the really the big sacrifice is at the end of the film batman chooses to never tell anyone that harvey dent was one of the villains in the film and the reason for this is that he knows that the idea of batman and the symbol for justice and power is far more important than it is to actually have people know the truth so what harvey dent represented was justice Mm. represented control represented giving back the power to the city over the criminals that ran it Everything that Batman couldn't be. Everything that Batman couldn't be. So instead of telling the truth and saying that Harvey Dent caused all these problems, he sacrificed the image of Batman itself, something he'd spent so long building up, something he's basically his his biggest creation. And he knew that by sacrificing that, by championing the, the wrong information but the right message, it would be better for the city overall and it give power back to the people. And it's the ultimate sacrifice that Batman could make to give up his own image and everything he built to better the city it's a wonderful that was maybe the least eloquent i've ever been no, on no, this no. podcast no it was, it was very nicely put um it's a wonderful ending to a film and it makes it even better the fact that you see the development of that story in the third one as well the fact of harvey dent's image and the dent act um and just batman who he's known as now and you know is he still about? Is he not? Etc. But going back to the second one, you're absolutely right. This isn't necessarily one that you would think of as sacrifice, but the image for Batman, because he's a symbol for good, not good as in, you know, you can give him a cuddle. He's not Superman at the end of the day. He is the Knight, the Dark Knight. He's always known as the brooding one. He's always known as the one which he doesn't necessarily look like he's the good guy. No, he he, he ruled, he did his thing through fear. Yeah. But he's still got that image that he will protect for good. He is part of a good idea. And then for him to completely diminish that, that he's actually turned and 
everything which he's done is now for nothing because it's all been destroyed you know everyone's not going to be scared of him anymore none of none of the police are going to protect him anymore and look after him and and collaborate with him through various scenes none of that is going to happen but it's all 100% worth it yeah and it's that it's the at the end of the day it's about this truly being selfless and again it's like we spoke about the the start being truly selfless because Mm. everything he does is thankless yeah everyone hates him imagine imagine doing an action that made everyone in the world hate you but because you knew deep down it was the right thing to do Mm. it's it's like when you have to give someone bad news or or tell someone the truth or like really say look you know what break up with that guy because he's bad for you or something like that and they they hate you for it but you knew that you had to do it it's that Mm. selfless action this is on like a global scale for batman for dark knight not your favorite of the three either uh i think probably now that i know more about films um because that's that's the one joy about being well one of the joys about being on this podcast is that it's really made me think differently about films i'm Mm. sure if i went back and rewatched the trilogy i would understand why it is this sort of seminal film of the three but on a first watch dark knight rises was my favorite do you believe just whilst we're on the subject of dark knight and heath ledger because obviously heath ledger tragically passed after this film um do you believe he would have got the Oscar if he hadn't have passed, or do you believe it was partly to do with Hollywood feeling somewhat sad and upset that it influenced the idea of the Oscars at all? I think it's an interesting question. Mm. I don't know that it's a worthwhile conversation because at the end of the day, whether I think he would have won it or not, I will never know the answer to. True. Whether I think, having looked at the roles and actually looked at the roles today, whether he deserved it, I think he did. Because the role is outstanding. Who is your favourite Joker, just before we go on to the next? Wacken Phoenix. Really? Mm. I mean, it was wonderful. Absolutely amazing film. was so blown away by it. But also, I really, really love Mark Hamill voicing Joker um, in the Batman games. Animated series. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. Mine's Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that's Jack. fair. And that's that's actually, for, for a long time, why so many... Because a lot of other actors turned down the role of um, Joker in this film. Um, turning because they thought they will never be able to meet the um, 1989 Batman um, movie, but yeah, so iconic. It makes sense. So to feel, and uh, I wasn't really aware of Heath Ledger other than A Knight's Tale and the same things I hate about you. So it wasn't really big films. So for him to go into those shoes and try and fill them, and not only fill them but in some eyes succeed and surpass it, was a huge achievement. Mm. But yeah, that is Dan's first choice. <laughs> My second choice, Dan doesn't really like this film as much as I do, but I love this film. It's a wonderful film. No one likes this film. I do. The costume in this film is based on the costume seen in DC's New 52 comics. Clue 2. Henry Cavell and Russell Crowe met years prior to playing father and son when Henry was an extra in Proof of Life in the year 2000 and received words of encouragement to pursue acting and an autographed picture from Crow, who was his favourite actor, which is adorable. Clue three, Amy Adams, who plays Lois Lane, is only nine years younger than Diane Lane, who plays Martha Kent. Really? I know. (laughs) And um, Amy Adams is nine years older than Henry Cavell. Well, makeup is is something else, isn't it? (laughs) I know, but I did really well. We'll be back after this.
baby. We all were once. And uh, you have to be shut off. Planet, your planet's going to explode, gutted. Uh, yeah, just imagine that. Yeah, and uh, you know the entire few moments in which you've known is now null and void because you're going elsewhere. Uh, you're going to pastures new, and you land on this place called Earth, and um, some Kent family folk find you, and they're lovely. Papa Kent, Mama Kent, Jonathan and Martha. Why would you say that name? And and essentially. Um, they they look after you and you become Superman, the Man of Steel, played by Henry Cavell, which is an absolute specimen in this film. He is all types of ripped. It is ridiculous. And this is a story of the origin of Superman fighting General Zod as well through various ways and him finding himself and his powers and Russell Crowe plays um, Jor-El. And yeah, you may possibly think i'm gonna speak about Jorel sacrificing himself at the start you're absolutely wrong i feel like the more significant sacrifice in this is jonathan kent jonathan kent through various means of superman's history has died in a variety of ways he's died by a heart attack he's died by old age um that's pretty much it actually that's pretty much jonathan kent's this one's completely different though he sacrifices himself to keep the identity of Superman because he says to Clark, people always fear what they don't understand, which is what they also said in the Dark Knight as well, which is, which is lovely. They say that in the Dark Knight franchise as well. Uh, Carmine Falcone says it in Batman Begins when he's punching Bruce Wayne after he goes to see him. Nice little segue, stuff. I like that. Yeah. Um, so that's a wonderful little nod just there. And the way that he does it is... They've just had an argument, which is wonderful. Both in the car, they're going down the highway, and this tornado appears. So they don't get to finish the argument. Clark's literally about to say, I'm sorry, Dad. Because he, he says, you're not my dad. It's a horrible moment uh, for anyone who's in that situation. You know, you, you've adopted me. You're not my real parent. Shut up. And Jonathan tells Clark to take Martha away and hide by the lay-by by the bridge where it's safe. And Jonathan's being the good person that he is, and he's telling everyone to run and and get away and everything. And there's a woman and the baby stuck in the car, and he gets the baby out, and he, but their dog, their dog is still in the car. Martha closes the door. It's Martha's fault, really. And Jonathan goes back and gets the dog. Even Clark goes to do it. He's like, no, 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 you stay with your mum because you can protect your mum, and your mum is more important than anything. And he goes back, and one of the cars flip over crush the car trapping jonathan's leg because this tornado is getting closer and closer and closer he opens the door and allows the dog to escape the dog goes running to clark and martha the most important thing is the dog survives but the dog definitely does survive and then the car flips back off and jonathan can move his leg again but he's hobbling and he cannot move and he stands up and the tornado is about five seconds away from him and Clark knows that he can save him at this moment. He knows that he's got more than enough time to zoom there, zoom back. The only issue with that is everyone's going to see Jonathan automatically appear. This is an issue, but he doesn't care. It's his dad. Of course he's going to sacrifice everything for it. It's irrelevant. And just as he's about to, Jonathan looks at him and puts his hand up to signify, don't, don't do it, because people will fear you. And it's a concern. Going back to the... In, in the earlier parts of the film, there's a scene when the bus, um, it goes over a bridge and all the kids are drowning. 
and Clark classic superhero oh movie. yeah and Clark being a boy of eight or nine pulls the bus out and one child sees it and is scared and terrified of him and it kind of shows on Matt Hint just there although that person is Lana Lang so later on they have a relationship but it's neither here nor there but it's just that moment when Clark agrees to what his dad's saying even though he knows what it means that he's never going to see his dad again and a tornado comes and it takes Jonathan and you and, and that's it that's the end of Jonathan Kent he sacrifices himself because he's so sure that in him, his son saving his life will destroy his son's life yeah I think it's one of those truly beautiful moments and I don't think this is a fantastic film I was really excited for it when it was first coming out particularly in uh, we said this earlier um, in a private conversation but particularly in a post um, post Dark Knight world mm. where you're excited for these gritty superhero films start coming yeah, through yeah. and Man of Steel seems so promising and sort of let down on some of those promises but this is one of those moments where it's a perfect example of sacrifice because it's not a father trying to save his son's life it's not a man trying to Man, man, a person trying to trying to you know lose their life to save the entire world. It's a father who wants the absolute best for his son, a yeah. son that he's willing, who has just had an argument with, a son that says turns around and says, "You're not my father." But that fatherly love shines through more than anything, and he will give anything for his son to have the right life, even if that means losing his own life. Yeah. And that's a truly perfect example of sacrifice that actually you can imagine in a modern day world. It's a wonderful moment, and everything about that scene. He's gorgeous. Uh, Kevin Costner's fantastic as Jonathan Kent. I highly recommend. But the score is it's hands in there, so it's emotional, it's cinematic, you can feel it, it's the intensity is just absolutely outstanding. Everything about it is just flawless. I love that scene. It's amazing. I watched it prior to um to coming on the show, just that scene in particular. And you get goosebumps because everything about it works so wonderfully. I'd highly recommend, if you've seen Man of Steel, just watch him at a scene again, because, you know, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong, Jor-El does sacrifice. I mean, he dies along with his wife, so he sacrifices both of them um, in order for his son to survive. He could have jumped ship and said, see you later, good luck with the kid, world's about to explode, I'm off. Um, could have popped his wife in there, because there's only enough room for one, but he, you know, he saves his son, he sacrifices himself. But for me, I mean... Jorel's partly to blame for why Krypton blew up, so it's kind of his own fault. But yeah, Jonathan. Most importantly, though, the dog survives. Dog definitely survives. Martha survives, and Clark cries. Wonderful moment. That is my second choice. <laughs> Marty, we're on to uh, alter my choice, and this, oh. this is a big one. This is a. Uh, this is definitely. Um, spoiler. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's not obvious what this film is at all uh, through my f- three clues. Once I give the name, and you haven't seen this film, and if somehow you don't know what happens in this film, just switch off. Give we'll, up. This is the last film of the podcast. You, you can just leave after yeah, this we'll, one. We'll, we we'll, left it till last for a reason. We'll see you next week. That's fine. Okay, Marty. Hmm. Uh, this is the first. This is the first film where Robert Redford has returned to play a role for the second time. In his 59-year career, Redford has otherwise never played the same role twice in a franchise, and the legendary actor declared this was his final acting performance the day he arrived for filming. Oh, that's nice. Yep. Uh, Back to the Future is mocked very often during this film. <laughs> Alan Silvestri, who scored every other film in this franchise, yep. uh, with 
the name of this film in it, so specifically those films. Yeah. Um, also scored the Back to the Future trilogy. <laughs> well, did they use the Back to the Future music in this at all? Uh, if they... No, they didn't. Oh, it's such a waste. It would have been funny, though. Nice, nice mashup between the two. Um, when this film surpassed Titanic in box office total, James Cameron sent a congratulatory message to uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios on dethroning his film with a photo of the A from this title being the iceberg that sinks the Titanic. It's a wonderful, wonderful image. Yep. It's really nice. And it's nice to see directors giving a pat on the back with regards to that. Although Cameron believes that Avatar's going to pop along and knock this off. It's not. Avatar 2, 3, 4 or 5 because oh, there are four sequels oh in the works. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Right. This is, I mean, you, you've got to know, but if you haven't, this is your time to think. you have not seen the film avengers endgame stop listening now see you later next week because my fourth film is avengers endgame what a film fantastic end to the the end to the uh nearly the end of the to the uh third uh third act in the marvel cinematic universe third film. phase um yeah redemption for infinity war as well because i was annoyed by okay, that okay we're but- not we're not i'm i'm, I'm explaining this film <laughs> the world has gone to pot in the post uh, infinity war world pepper pot half of every member of every life in the entire universe including the plants apparently although none of them are really missing in this film are gone mm. everything's gone dusty after the snap that takes uh, takes half the life in the universe away and it's an absolute shambles of a world. It is. The government's fallen. No one knows what to do. Everyone's lost family and friends. There's a last-ditch attempt by the uh, by the Avengers to go and find Thanos to get the stones back, to snap everyone back to life. And they uh, they get Tony back from space. They go off and find him with the help of uh, Rocket and Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel and, and the rest of them. And they get to uh, Thanos's new home where he's just picking some weird plant. <laughs> He's a little farm, really. Yeah, he's, he's got a little farm, and he's uh, his hands all dirty and sort of melted and stuff. And they get there, and he's like, "Yeah, I I used the stones to destroy the stones." Thor chops his head off. <laughs> the, the entire audience gasps. Pans Every to black. Single person did. Cuts to five years later. I've never had goosebumps so hard in a film because I was like, "Well." This is now expecting this film to go, and every sort of idea I had for the film just went. So this is a three-hour film, and that <laughs> happens in the first ten minutes. Yep, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, now, if if you're still listening to this, it means you've seen the film, mm. and there's obviously two key sacrifices we have to talk about. Yes, we'll talk of the lesser first. Black Widow. Mm-hmm. She, uh, Natasha Romanoff, and. Um, What's Hawkeye's real name? Clint Barton. Clint Barton, thank you. I couldn't remember the Barton. Uh, go and visit old Red Skull to, to go and get this soul stone. Brilliant cameo. Fantastic, yeah. Love that. 
Um, and they recognise, of course, we've seen in Infinity War that you have to you have to chuck someone off the big cliff to get the yellow rock. <laughs> Just chuck them off there. Yeah. See you later. It's a big old drop, so they ain't making it down there yeah. and surviving. And there's this moment where Clint and Natasha, who I don't think have any romantic relationship. No, they're like brother and sister. Yeah, so they've got just got a true mutual respect for each other. And it's that moment where they have so much love for each other that they are the, both the ones who want to die and want to sacrifice themselves at this moment. And it's this emotional time when they're running for the cliff and they're fighting. They're actually fighting each other to actually themselves die. And it's the moment where Cliff jumps off the cliff. Nice, very nice. <laughs> Hawkeye jumps off the cliff. And Natasha manages to catch him with a rope, clips into the cliff, and throws herself down. And there's that moment where they're just looking at each other while she falls, and then she dies. Of course, this is for for the biggest stakes that have ever existed, which is half the life in the entire universe. Mm. But the more important sacrifice, Marty... Just before you do, I don't agree with her dying out of the two of them. I believe Hawkeye's story would have made more sense to die is it because of his family no 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 it's because of what he's done he's turned renegade and he's on a massive killing spree now Romanoff admittedly was a spy who killed lots of people that's fine but she's redeemed herself Clint's gone the polar opposite he's gone to the dark side so it would make more sense for him to redeem himself than to save half the universe see I I like if I was asking for everything to be squeaky clean and perfect at the end, mm. that would be the outcome. Mm. But I like there to be still character development to go with these characters that are surviving in this universe. Yeah, and I mean, his outfit is amazing when he's... Um, oh, God, I know his name oh, as well. Oh, so do I. But he's, he's amazing. He'll come to us. Yeah, he's like a samurai. So, awesome so there's man. our first major sacrifice. There, yeah. there, are, there are a lot of deaths in this film. I can't go through them all. But obviously, the, uh, the key moment in this film. And the reason everyone suspected in this film that perhaps Iron Man would die, perhaps Captain America would die. Mm. We knew some sort of big death was coming because it's the shake-up of the entire Marvel Universe that we've been, we'd spent a decade building. Throughout this film, because obviously there's a five-year time skip, uh, Tony Stark has a kid. Oh, God. And what a beautiful little girl she is. She's such a perfect little She's character in this adorable. film. And the whole time through this film, it's all about time travel. It's about not messing up the future. And I thought initially, is he going to have to change the past and it'll mean his daughter doesn't exist. Luckily not. Luckily not the case, because he couldn't have handled that. But all he wants is the best world for his daughter, mm. and a world for his daughter to grow up in that, that's right. Because he wants to see her grow up. The ultimate heartbreak of that situation, though, is that when he gets a hold of those stones and snaps everyone back to life, he knows that that action will kill him. So in order to build a world where he can see his daughter grow up, he can never see his daughter grow up. Yeah, he cannot be a part of it. And it's weird, weird that in a film that the consequences were half the life in the entire universe. The most heartbreaking thing was that moment where he gave up everything for one little girl. Not even all the life in the universe. It was all about her. Yeah. And it, the ultimate sacrifice in giving up his life to bring everyone back was was gut-wrenching. It was absolutely I brutal. sobbed in the theatre, but it was absolutely amazing. And it's, it's this ultimate, ultimate idea of sacrifice that you give up your life for everyone else's life. Perfect. Endgame, we don't need to talk about the film really much more than that. We're here specifically to speak about the sacrifice, but is probably my favourite cinema experience ever, and I don't imagine it will ever be topped, because we spent a decade getting to that point, and it all started with Iron Man, and it all finished with Iron Man, 
And really, it wasn't just him sacrificing himself. It was sacrificing the lead character for those films, ready to pass on the torch to a new generation of characters as well. Absolutely. Oh, God. It was, yeah, it's a wonderful ending. So like you said, what, we've been doing this since 2009? So it's 2009, yeah. 10 years of this entire story. And Iron Man's always been the cocky, arrogant one. And you get to see moments of his humanity and the fact that he is selfless and it's not all about him, hence why he's an Avenger. But there's no bigger you know, moment as to sacrificing yourself for for this little girl who you're... Ab- and it's almost as if half a universe is just a bonus add-on of saving everyone. Yep. Because like you said, it's not about any of them whatsoever. It's about his little girl. It's about his world, his universe, that child. Because he almost didn't go through the plan because he thought maybe changing the past too much might mean that it wouldn't ever mean he had his little girl. Yeah. So he was willing almost to sacrifice half the universe for her. In actual fact, he managed to switch that around and sacrifice himself for her. And it's from, from a man that was so inherently flawed, like a warmonger weapon seller, at the start of this entire series, to then turn around and give the armor sacrifice is the perfect character arc for him. Mm. It's Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And it's nice as well because you get to see... Going back to Spider-Man as well, Spider-Man sees Tony Stark as a father figure as well, and he sees him die as well, so that's brutal on that side. And there's a moment between Stark and Pepper as well, which I really, really like. Um, Is it when he's there dying on the floor? Yeah, and she's like, you can rest now. Because he'd never, he could never rest, that's the whole point. After Iron Man 3, he blew up all the suits. Yeah. It was like, that's it, I'm not doing it anymore, and you come back to... Is it then Infinity War after that one? Civil War? Uh, yeah, Civil War. And bam, he's straight back to it because yeah. he can't ever give up. And this is it. He had to give him everything. He always had to give everything before he could stop. And she finally said... And you can, can rest now. And by rest, she means die. Oh, and I'm getting all, all glassy-eyed over here. Yeah, no, it's it's abs- It's a wonderful ending to a, to a story arc of, of Tony Stark. And, you know, he can Tony still... Tony Stark co- story arc. Yeah, Tony... <laughs> <laughs> Tony Stark story and arc reactor. Oh my god, why have I never thought of that? Um but yeah, it's a fantastic ending to his story and it's definitely the end of Infinity Stone saga. Mm. Where the Marvel universe goes from now, well we've got Eternals coming up. They're the next one. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I kind of got at some point I got superhero fatigue during the whole series of films because there were 22 of them. Mm-hmm. I think event uh, Endgame was the 22nd. Yeah. Um, at some point you end up a bit fatigued like oh god I've seen a lot of these films but then it sort of ramped up for the end and had this fantastic finale and then they did the the really smart thing because it was getting to the stage where there were three Marvel films a year they gave us a break Yeah, they went they they came out with Spider-Man Far From Home which was a bit confusing as to how that was the end of the um, third phase but actually it makes perfect sense because you understand what the world looks like post end game mm. I know you disagree but I actually think it's fantastic and then they gave us a break and the next film is about the past for Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, who died in this film. So really, I have no idea what comes next for these films. I don't know where this is all headed. I mean, naturally, I'm, I'm quite a um, spoiler-reverse person. I try and avoid as much as I can. You do? Hence why I'm going to say, do you know of any other Marvel films which are currently being developed? Um, I know there's another Spider-Man film coming. Okay. Um, any others? Uh, yeah. Oh, and, no, actually, I do, because I know there's Thor, Love and Thunder. Yes. Uh, but mainly, I'm interested in the Disney Plus series. Okay. Because I know there's WandaVision. What What on earth that program is, I have no idea. Yeah, it's And I know there's um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And 
there's also Loki. Yeah, of course, because that's somehow he fits into the universe again after the uh, the whole thing that happens in Endgame. Uh huh. And one of the films is going to tie in with WandaVision as well. Oh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, exactly. Which is the that. first Marvel horror film. Yep. I'm happy with that, more than happy. So, yeah, that's going to be, I'm assuming, Strange and Wanda. It is, yeah. They're, they're the two that cross over. Um, the film I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm most excited for is Love and Thunder, because I know it's Taika Waititi. Yep. And having recently, because obviously I, I loved, I loved, um, what's the Thor film that he did? Oh, um, Ragnarok. Ragnarok. I loved Ragnarok. And then I've also just recently seen um, What We Do in the Shadows and Jojo Rabbit. Had you never seen What We Do in the Shadows? No. And oh, so I, I'm, on, I'm on this film. massive Taika Waititi hype at the moment, so I'm really excited for Love and Thunder. You've seen Hunt for the World of People, haven't I've you? I've not. It's his best one by by an absolute mile. I would highly recommend Hunt for the World of People. It's gorgeous. It was a kids' film for some reason. No, definitely not. I mean, you've got Boy as well. That's another film of his. He's done a fair few. Um, interesting with Love and Thunder with uh, Natalie Portman as well, especially Natalie Portman in Endgame because she said that she wasn't going to be part of the Marvel universe anymore. And not only was she then in Endgame, but in the next four film, she's going to be the main character. Okay, well, I didn't know that, so thanks, Marty. A um, main character. A main character, okay. Um, interestingly, though, in, actually, I say interesting, probably not, but in Endgame, you know she was obviously back in it. Mm. That was actually recut footage from Dark World. The only th- and new stuff she added was additional voiceover. Really? Mm. Yeah, so she didn't actually shoot any scenes for the film. Very, very smart. Yet yeah, she was still there on a red carpet. Oh, you've just ruined the female Thor for me, haven't you, Marty? Sorry, you mate. son of a gun. Sorry. Come on, Comic-Con happened last year. You should have known this by now. No, I avoid all these things. Comic-Con's not even happening this year. Well, on that big spoiler for Dan... Sorry. <laughs> that is the end of this week's show. Next week, we'll be back with a, another guest and another theme. But until then, thank you once again for joining me. Thanks for having me. And until next week, have a week.